Our reading is in Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our, of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on, on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as rational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up in their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupt flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. This is God's word. If we've not met, uh, my name is Matt Fuller. Here's our last look, uh, if you're joining us tonight. We've been in the book of Jude for a few weeks. Uh, this is our last look uh, tonight uh, to the book of Jude, verses 17 to the end. Let me pray, uh, and then we'll jump in this together. 
Our great God and Father, we thank you that you're kind and wise as a good father. Therefore, you share with us the truths that we need. And Father, we've been thinking over the last few weeks of our need to contend for the faith. As we think this evening, how? What does that actually look like? What does that mean for us here this evening? Please be at work persuading us of our need, helping us understand the right ways to do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, somewhat pathetically, I guess, in some senses, I, I do have a little bit of a weakness um, for Lego. Look, I know I'm too old. I know I'm too old, and I should have grown out of it by now. There's something incredibly therapeutic of putting your brain in neutral about click, click. It's like an expensive jigsaw, really, isn't it? Um, you just sort of, you know, the, there's something quite pleasing about that. And, um, you know, particularly at Christmas time when it's dark, I quite like a little Lego, so I know it's pathetic. But if you wanted to get me something at Christmas, that would be the... Um, <laughs> Now, occasionally you see something online and uh, think, oh, yeah, look at that. That's a terrific set. How much is that? <gasps> You're joking. But then, of course, there's the knockoff version uh, manufactured elsewhere, uh, often um, East Asia, and, um, uh, and building, buildingbricks.com or blockattack.com. And it's like, oh, it's the same model, just manufactured by someone else at half the price. And it's quite tempting, right? Um, but then sort of your conscience says no intellectual property and it's sort of theft of a kind and I mustn't do that. But um, fake Lego, I mean, I do what you want really. But um, uh, no one really cares. Apparently it's not illegal. I don't understand how intellectual property isn't nickable, but anyway. Uh, apparently it's not, I mean, no one really cares about fake Lego. It's, you know, take it or leave it. Fake medicines. Oh, that's a bit different, isn't it? So uh, I read from the, the US National Institute of Health that fake medicines kill uh, a minimum of uh, a quarter of a million children every year. Uh, a couple of years ago, do you remember this one? The World Health Organization issued an alert over a fake cancer drug that was uh, had entered the uh, supply chain in the US and in Europe. For It was packaged up like the most common leukemia treatment for adults. Uh, same packaging, same, you know, same branding, etc., etc. It was just paracetamol, nothing else. Someone was selling it, making lots of money for a life-saving drug that was not saving lives, leading people to die. Oh, fake drugs that are not administering what people need and so they die, oh, we care about that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Some fakes matter, some don't. Lego, drugs, oh yeah, that matters. Jude has written his letter because people are selling a fake gospel. If you've been here over the last few weeks, he said, look, I'd much rather talk about the wonders of salvation. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I can't, I need to warn you. I felt, verse 3, compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. The problem is there are false teachers or scoffers, as he calls them in this text. They've perverted the gospel. They're selling a fake and so he says, verse 4, certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people. And here's what they're doing. They pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality 
and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Two sides of the same coin. They pervert the gospel of grace. You'll be forgiven anything, 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 whatever you do. There's no repentance in their message. Because Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. You do have to, when you come to me as Savior, I will forgive you anything. But you have to also come to me as Lord and say, I'll follow you. You can't call me Savior if you ignore what I command. You cannot. You can't separate those two out. And so here's a fake message, a fake gospel. And these scoffers, they're teaching a message that will shut people out of heaven and condemn them to hell. And they think they're fine. That's wicked. In the same way, flogging fake cancer drugs is wicked. But this is worse, because it's eternity. And so we spent a few weeks in this. This is our last week then, uh, considering uh, the call that Jude makes to contend within the church for the truth. Now, a couple of people have said, or a few people have said to me, okay, I, I get it. Yeah, Jude says contend. I, I see that. I see we're meant to do that. I, I'm, I'm persuaded. What does that actually mean that I do? I get for you, Matt Fuller, publicly, but what do, what do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked, because tonight's passage tells you. Three little things Jude's going to say. Remember, the apostles predicted scoffers. Keep yourselves in God's love. Show mercy mixed with fear. That's how you contend. And we are again, let me say, talking about life within the church. This is not what you say at work tomorrow. It is what you say in conversation with other Christians. In this church, in mates at other churches, it's in the Christian sphere that this contending is taking place. I know the culture affects what happens, but this is not what you say at work. It's what you say to Christians. This is not about writing a letter to the Times or the Guardian or whatever your oeuvre is or your genre is of, of newspaper. Um, it might be writing to your bishop. might be that. But do you see, we're talking about life within the church broadly, the church in our nation at this moment in time, not the culture. That's how we contend. So three things, three things to do, uh, and then a final encouragement that we can trust God to keep us. Three things to do. They're sort of long-term, medium-term, short-term. I wouldn't overstate that, but let's work through them. First, remember that the apostles predicted scoffers. This is slightly long-term, right? You just do this for the rest of your lives. Um, in other words, this is basically a call, don't be naive. Verse 17. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So if you hear last time, in verses 5 to 16, Jude went through a whole long list of Old Testament examples of people who denied the authority of Jesus, who pursued sexual immorality, that is, any sex outside of marriage of a man or a woman, and would be condemned. They denied the authority, pursued sexual immorality, would be condemned. That's what he went through last time. Long list of Old Testament references now he says, and, and you do know that in the New Testament, the apostles said the same. They've warned you. 
Go through a whole long list. Jesus warned you. The apostles warned you. There'll be those selling a fake. I forgot to put it on the screen, but you can look it up afterwards. 2 Corinthians 11, I think, is a really helpful uh, little reference. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4. Let me read. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. If someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus, other than the Jesus we preach, preached, or you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, why do you put up with that? Now, can I just underline, get out the big yellow marker pen here, and say to you, do you see what he's saying? There will be false teachers, and they will talk of Jesus, and the work of the Spirit, and the gospel, and it's not what the Bible teaches. Don't be fooled by the words. Oh, I went to church and they talked about Jesus and the gospel and the Spirit, so it's a great church. No, not necessarily. I mean, if they speak about those things, it's not automatically a bad church, right? Because every Christian church should be talking about those things. But just because those words get spoken, they can be other than what is in the Bible. He's saying, don't be naive. Don't be fooled. Be on your guard. Remember what the apostles taught you. There will always be scoffers. So this is a timeless, long-term truth to bear in mind, right? So five years' time, ten years' time, you've, uh, you've uh, sadly moved and, and uh, you're in another church somewhere and another perhaps moral issue uh, bubbles up and you wonder, oh, I, I sort of, that, uh, something not quite right here. What well, do gives you three little things, not the only things, three little things you, you can check. Is this healthy? Because these false teachers here, they are, verse 18, they're scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. You see, they're scoffers. That's what they do. First, this thing, they scoff. Um, they scoff at the idea that, well, they scoff at the word of God. Does it really mean that? They, they scoff at the idea that obeying Jesus matters. They, I think, in the flow of this little letter, they scoff at the idea that God will ever hold them accountable. So wary, be wary of those. They scoff, they're divisive. Verse 19, these are the people who divide you. We said he wants us a backdrop to looking at this issue is that there are, uh, you may have picked up revisionists at the moment in the Church of England. Uh, Dalton and Tiff prayed this earlier. So this week the conversation will take place in the sort of parliament of, of the Church of England General Synod. Should there be blessings upon same-sex marriages? Now, I'm not going to unpack that as an issue, but the Bible would say, no, you can't bless something that Jesus says is sin. Sex is only for a marriage between a man and a woman. The problem is you've got this, a group there, the, let me call them revisionists, saying, oh, people like you at, at Christchurch Mayfair, you're divisive. You won't just say we're all big one happy family. You're so divisive, you lot. Angry, naughty, divisive people that you are. I see it in your faces. Um, and you think, well, hold on a minute. You... You're breaking with 6,000 years of Judeo-Christian ethics on marriage. You're breaking with I don't know, 75% of all Anglicans globally, probably higher than that. You, who's the divisive ones here? 
you're breaking with what the Bible teaches. But the accusation will be, you're, you, no, 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 but they're divisive. So they're scoff, they're divisive. Oh, just on that, I mean, there is a re- just a little tangent. Uh, we as a church and church leadership are very um, committed to moving on this particular issue in the Church of England at the same rate as as many evangelical Anglican churches as possible to not be accused of being divisive. That probably means we'll move more slowly in reacting than we would instinctively want to do. But to take a lot of people with you, you end up going more slowly than you desire. You can ask me about that. Third little thing about them, that they follow their ungodly desires or natural instincts. You see, you get that twice, really. These people, they're scoffers. They follow their ungodly desires. And verse 18, they follow mere natural instincts. Here are false teachers who say, how can it be wrong when it feels so good? How can it be wrong when so many people in the wider culture agree with me? How can it be wrong? And Jude says very bluntly of these people, end of verse 19, they do not have the Spirit. They are not Christians. They're not born again. And at the moment, this language often gets used in the Church of England, uh, what what is the Spirit of God saying in the church today? And the answer is, well, why you reject his word, you'll never know. You will never know. So his point really in this first is look, don't be naive. Don't be naive. Be prepared. Look, if you go, if you've got another 50, 80 years, 80, most of you be going quite well, but anyway, uh, 50 odd years uh, living as Christians, um, at some point, You'll enter churches and they'll say, gospel, spirit, Jesus, and it's not what the Bible teaches. And it's not truth that will save people for heaven. Don't be naive. Remember, the New Testament apostles, just like the Old Testament prophets, said there will always be false teachers. There'll always be scoffers. Okay? That's the first way to contend. Be ready. On that, as Liz mentioned, very practically, can you please join the electoral role of church if you're a member here, like if you're in a small group, please join it. Because there's a bit of a mismatch at the moment. There's several hundred in the church, but our electoral role is like 50 people. It's useless. Uh, it's a bit more than that. But, um, and so it just gives, in terms of these conversations, it helps. It helps in conversations with the Church of England because the number they take seriously is the electoral role. Anyway, small thing. But don't think it's boring. Well, no, it is boring. Um, but it matters. It matters, right? Not now. Afterwards, QR codes. Get on to it. That's the first thing. How should we contend? Remember the apostles predicted God. Secondly, keep yourselves in God's love. And here we really come to, well, what should I do? Verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Okay, what should I do to contend for the faith? And strikingly, Jude doesn't say, like, get the false teachers, right? Take them around the back and give them a shoeing. Uh, he doesn't say, get the false teachers and eject them from the building. I mean, elsewhere, he'll say, put out false teachers, okay? But it's not, Arr! it's, can you make sure you're godly? 
Can you build yourself up in the faith? That's what he stresses. He doesn't say kick them out. Other places in the New Testament would. The main verb in this flow, I mean, there are four little commands, but the main verb is keep yourselves in God's love. Keep yourselves. The other three hang off it. Keep yourselves. What is the most important thing to do when the voices say, indulge yourself sexually? The most important thing to do is keep yourselves in God's love. It's plural. It's not something you do on your own. It's something we do together. You need others. What does it mean to keep yourselves in God's love? Do you know what? It's all pretty unremarkable. It's come to church and encourage other people and let them encourage you. Join a small group. Spur others on. Commit yourself to being useful. That is keeping yourselves in God's love. Three other little commands hang off it. Uh, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Building yourself up is the sort of gym language, you know, pump yourself, not pump yourself up, um, you know, exercise so that you grow and build. There's some training to be done. So do you know the really simple way of contending? How do I contend for the faith? Here's some really simple. Read your Bible. Oh, that's so boring. No, no. I mean, isn't there more to it than that? No, no. That's the first thing you do to contend for the faith is you know what the faith is. It's just, I mean, at the risk of sounding really obvious, Read your Bible every day. Good Bible study notes will help you do that. Have a little book group, two, three, four others, which reads Christian books. Build yourselves up. Be in a prayer triplet where you share honestly. Build yourselves up. That's how you keep yourselves in the faith. Pray in the Spirit. I think a contrast here with the scoffers who do not have the Spirit, but follow their own desires. So to pray in the Spirit is to be controlled or guided by Him. Waiting as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep going in the face of distracting voices, heresy, even when you're being laughed at. Know that a future reward is coming, which is glorious. Keep looking forward. There's quite a lot of contrast here between the believer and the false teacher they have no spirit. You pray in the spirit. They will cause divisions. You be concerned to build one another up. They scoff at the idea that God will judge. <laughs> silly. God will hold me accountable. Don't be so silly. We, you, look forward, wait to see Jesus face to face. So look, one key way of contending is just keep going, right? Keep growing in the ways that people have told you you've been a Christian for years, hopefully, and look out for others. Let me just give one example here, just, uh, which is a bit of a sideways step. But it's keep yourselves, plural, not just individually, I'm keeping myself to myself. Uh, no, it's keep yourselves collectively. Um, how do we help those who are struggling with living a faithful celibate life as Christians. Could be because they're same-sex attracted, could be heterosexual, but you know, lots of people who are celibate who would prefer not to be. 
Uh, if it's only for a season, maybe it'll come to an end. Maybe it's life. Who knows? What do we do to help them? How do we keep them collectively in God's love? You, that's a number here. I was very struck just at the end, right at the end of December, I saw a tweet from um, a single uh, Christian woman, uh, middle-aged, and um, she tweeted out, New Year's Eve has become the loneliest night of the year for me. And this was met with a shed load of responses. Things such as, just reading your tweet has made me cry. I start thinking about New Year's Eve in November and it makes me miserable. Someone else, 100%. As soon as my friends got engaged or married, they abandoned me on New Year's Eve. The author continued in a chain. Look, as a never married Christian woman who lives alone, New Year's Eve is typically the one night of the year that I fear being alone. It's the one night of the year when sitting on my sofa becomes unbearably loaded with the emotional weight of what was and what could have been. What should we do? Well, for those of us who are single, we need to get over ourselves and ask others what they're up to. And for those of you who are married, please be aware how emotional energy it can take for us singles to initiate the, hey, so I'm wondering, what are you doing on New Year's Eve conversation? Do you see, a number of the things I'm suggesting tonight, they're not particularly profound. How do you contend? How do you keep yourselves in God's love? Should look out for one another, include one another, share lives with one another. Keep yourselves in God's love. Third, third thing to do, show mercy mixed with fear. Three little groups here, three different groups, it seems to me, in verses 22 and 23. So, be merciful to those who doubt, secondly. Save others by snatching them from the fire, thirdly. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Golly. Three different groups. Let me take them in turn. First, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful. Oh, let me do, actually, let me just say this. Um, uh, for, here's a reminder then of the tone of contending for the faith. I take it some of us here, maybe most, I don't know, some of us here need to be told, contend for the faith. Others here need to be told, yeah, I know, I know you're great at contending for the faith. Can you just do so with grace and mercy? And Jude wants us to do that. I was struck, look, I wouldn't overstate this, but at some, I can't remember which one, at some point in the autumn, one of the prayer meetings was talking about the, the Church of England, and I said, my desire, would, that, would there be a polite divorce between those who are revisionists and those of us who hold to the Bible, uh, and there'd be a, a, a polite separation rather than an acrimonious um, schism. And a few people afterwards said, that's not right, is it? We want like a noisy sort of declaration, a sort of angry, we're different, they're wrong. And, um, you know, once I'm just delighted that people want to contend for the faith. So in many ways, I just commend that. And yet at the same time, at the same time, be careful because contending for the faith is important, but the posture with which you do it also matters, according to Jude. Just remember that on this particular issue, 
Some might get caught in the crossfire. There are those amongst us who are same-sex attracted for whom this, this issue being raised up, it's just emotionally very draining. Just be careful in any public pronouncements that are, that are made. But also the tone, it does matter. Sorry, three groups, maybe there's a tangent really. But one, be merciful, be merciful to those who doubt. Okay, now that is true generally. Anyone who has doubts in the Christian faith, uh, I mean, I think 99.9% of people have doubts at some point in the Christian faith, so it's always, that's a general true. But here, I think it's those who have doubts due to these scoffers. Hmm, maybe I can live as I desire and it's fine. I know in the past I've been taught that I shouldn't indulge myself sexually, but maybe that church was just a bit clenched and maybe it's okay. Maybe those sort of doubts creep in, I think, in the flow of things. And Jude would say, be merciful to them. Tell them, no, you can't. You can't just indulge yourself sexually outside of marriage. But be kind. Don't shout at them. Don't make them feel absolutely terrible. Be merciful. Sit with them. Spend time with them. Open your home with them to them, deepen your friendships with them. Be merciful in that sense, I think. I wonder if one way of showing mercy is actually just being honest. Let's be honest. Look, I, I guess, let's, I mean, just, just generally talking about sexual immorality, any sex outside of marriage of a man and a woman, Yes, and all the other things you wonder. Yes, oral sex. Yes, solo sex. Yes, all of that is sexual immorality. Look, I don't know what you make of it, but in a church such as this, I know. I know that a number are dating and struggling to remain pure on that issue and have stumbled sexually. I know that. I know that a number are struggling with porn and masturbation. I know that. Now, some of you are thinking, are they? Really? In church? What do we do? Well, we mustn't normalize sin. I'd say, well, everyone struggles, so everyone struggles. It's just life, isn't it? We mustn't normalize sin. Sin is rebellion against God. We must repent, do better. There's mercy. Sure, but make progress. But nor must we make people feel alone. Do you want to normalize sin? But nor do we make people feel alone in their sin. Neither are acceptable. I think be merciful to those who doubt must include if someone tells you of their struggles sexually, that's Judas' concern with sexual immorality, don't jump on them. Don't, <gasps> you? Be gentle. We want a culture at church. No, we have to have, we need a culture at church where we can be honest with our struggles, our failures, repent of them, and spur one another on to do better. We have to have that. We don't have that. If all we're doing is pretending and people sit here. Look, if you're sat here tonight and thinking, everyone else is sorted apart from me, that is not true. 
I'm not. No one is. So let's be honest. That normalizing sin, but no one can feel alone in their struggles. And perhaps particularly at this moment, in our cultural moment with the, the, the waves around at the moment, the particular challenge for those who are same-sex attracted, can I say, look, do, you, do you pray regularly for those who face that form of celibacy? They're being faithful to the Lord Jesus. I think at the moment we have to commit to doing that. That's part of contending, is to pray. That's the first group. Be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, Second, they seem to have gone a bit further. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Here are a group who've gone further. I think probably have indulged in the same teaching that the scoffers have gone for. They're caught up in. They're engaged in actively an immoral lifestyle. The comparison, I think, with verse 7 suggests that this is eternal fire. I think that's probably what's being spoken about. Snatched from eternal fire, I think, is the, the issue here. So look, what does he say? Do everything you can. Snatch people from the fire. Do everything you can. And sometimes that means dropping everything else. If you are, I know you're employed, but um, where I grew up, it was rural, rural Essex. There were no full-time firemen. We lived in a village of 17 people and 200 cows. Um, there, were, there were no full-time firemen. There were a number of part-time firemen who had jobs, but their beepers would go off, pages. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain that another time. Um, <laughs> like they'd get a call, sort of, uh, and um, say, you've got to, you know, You've got to get to the fire station now. Okay. Uh, one of them was a, a mate's dad, actually. This is a complete tangent now. But it was very exciting when his beeper went off because he was allowed to break the speed limit. And if you were in his car, it was awesome. Um, because it was all country lanes with little bridges and you're, Woo! and uh, do wheelies and all sorts of things. But he was allowed to do it. But i tell you what he didn't do. When his beeper went off, the fireman, he didn't go, nah, fancy lunch, actually. Uh, want to get home for my lunch. He'd stop everything. You know, if we were driving to a football match, he'd just say, sorry, boys, get in the car behind. I'm out of here. <laughs> and back to the fire. He'd drop everything to snatch people from the fire. Part of collectively contending for the faith is if we know people are going off the rails with sexual immorality, you drop everything, to help, you do whatever you can. Uh, third group is, so two groups, be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire. Last group, to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. I think this must be the false teachers or the scoffers themselves. The call is to show them mercy mixed with fear. Uh, you can engage with them, Try and persuade them of their error, but don't be naive. Fear that you could be dragged into their sin as well, dragged along with their immorality as well. Don't be naive, again, I think is the core here. Hang out with them too much and you may start to have doubts yourself, have suitable fear of the Lord's verdict, I think. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. It's a strange phrase in the Greek. I mean, it's literally... Hate the clothing soiled with excrement. So, look, have mercy with these people. Engage with these people. Be polite to these people. But view what they're teaching as like pants filled with poo. 
That's what he's saying. It's a funny mix, isn't it? For myself at the moment, I, I, I have, I have, I'm, look, I am not perfect by any stretch. I might get angry at poets. I do at points at the moment feel pretty sorry for the Archbishop of Canterbury. I mean, if you're in his position, you face the full torrents of cultural pressure to cave on all sorts of truths all the time. And he has to, you know, get slammed in the media all the time. I feel sorry for him in that position. And I pray for him in that. I am appalled by the decisions he's making. And I really want him to change his mind. Now, in my best moments, I can hold both of those together. Not all my moments. In my best moments, I can. And I think that is what we're being called to do here. It must be possible to remain in polite conduct and talk to a person without condoning or accepting their sin. Jesus did it. He sat with sinners. How should we contend for the faith? Remember, the apostles predicted as scoffers, it'll always be an issue. Keep yourselves in God's love. Keep being a healthy church. Show mercy mixed with fear. That's how you particularly respond. Now, that could get you down. So remember this as we finish. Trust in the God who keeps you. Trust in the God who keeps you. Verses 24 and 25. Jude concludes, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. There's a real danger that we stumble, but he will keep you. You could quickly say, but hold on a minute. In the letter of Jude, verse 1, he keeps. But um, it just said a moment ago, keep yourselves, verse 21 in God's love. Do we keep ourselves or does God keep us? The Bible would say both. Both are true. Don't push one to the extent of the other. You'll end up in error. One of the young families, or the only young family really in our streets, the, um, uh, one of the kids was learning to ride a bike uh, back in the autumn and um, it is sort of calamity, calamity and all sorts of things and you, you know, watch them trundle down the road on their stabilizers uh, and, all this, and eventually the stabilizers came off and oh, here we go. Uh, big moment and uh, there's mum and dad and, and dad, you know, whatever, 10 metres apart and um, the, you know, dad said, right, you'll be fine. Aim for mum and cycle as fast as you can. As long as you keep pushing, aim straight, pedal fast, you'll be fine. And you say, you'll be fine. And uh, kid, okay, okay. Dad gave him a big push. And he pedal fast, pedal fast, pedal fast, and, and went straight and got to mum. Yay, I did it. You did it. And all the while, dad had been holding the saddle. Okay, now that's not a perfect, but he keeps us by us keeping ourselves. We keep ourselves, but it's always the Lord is the hand upon us. You've got to hold both. But be encouraged. He'll keep you. And he'll present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's what we're looking forward to, being presented without fault, not pathetic and unwilling to stand up for Jesus, not cantankerous and argumentative in how we do it, without fault, 
with great joy. You do know, don't you, that when you arrive in heaven, your capacity for joy is massively expanded. It's limited now by our um, physical humanity and by our sinfulness. Your capacity grows enormously for joy in heaven, and the duration is eternal. The staff had a day away this week, and we listened to a talk. It's a helpful talk, and uh, but it really dwelt upon the idea of arriving in heaven and being given a hug by Jesus. I mean, like it really dwelt upon the hug. Um, to the man, you started to feel uncomfortable in a room of whatever, uh, you know, and then you, you know, and then by the end of it, he goes so hard on the hug, you just want to hug everyone uh, in the room. But it was just helpful. But, I mean, the, the basic point being, of course, of course, the first second of arriving in great joy overwhelms and swallows up whatever has been painful here and now. Of course. So persevere. Persevere in contending. His purposes will prevail. Verse 25, to our only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Now that is true. All glory goes to him. And we contend for the faith by telling ourselves that, by telling one another that, by in a moment singing that truth and experiencing point zero 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 one to the whatever degree smallness of the joy that is possible in heaven. But we need to do that now to look forward then, our great hope. Because contending for the faith, sometimes it comes with a cost. And I don't know what that looks like in the next few months or in our generation. But we do it because of him. We don't want a fake gospel. We want a true gospel that saves. And we want to be those who arrive in glory. Let's pray together. A great God and Father, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is so precious. There is nothing like it that can save from hell, for heaven, forever. There's nothing remotely of value next to it. Father, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is so glorious. He is such a treasure that we don't want to be distracted. We don't want another Jesus. We don't want a different one from him. We want to worship him. Father, would you help us to contend for the faith in whatever ways that looks like for us? But at the most basic level, would we love one another? Would we commit to spur one another on? Would we build one another up? Would we fight for those who are struggling? Would we be merciful on those who have doubts? Would we stand up to those who are scoffing? Father, help us to do what we need to do, what you call us to do, for the honor of your name. Father, thank you that we can be confident no matter what comes at us. You will keep us. We'll stand before you without fault, with a greater capacity to know joy than we've ever known in this life. Keep us looking forward to that future, we pray, so that we fight for you now.
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.